Father, you are faithful. Lord, you are the one who is always there when we call upon you. Father, it is our prayer that we would not call upon you solely when we are in need, but that, Father, we would call upon you all the time, regularly, that we would speak to you for wisdom and guidance in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and knowledge to know how to pursue you, Lord, and give us the strength and desire to do that. Father, it's so easy in our world to be distracted, to be led astray, to be pulled aside from your plan. And Father, we pray that we would not do that, that our hearts would be soft, that our hearts would listen to you. Father, one of the ways that we're easily able to accomplish this, if we are just able to come and put our sins before you. Father, we just, Lord, we're just going to take a moment right now to ask forgiveness for anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there. Father, we just pray that you would be faithful. Forgive us. Lord, but even more importantly, help us to no longer follow in that sin. Help us to overcome. Let's just take a moment and do that, each of us individually. Go and ask forgiveness. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord. And as we come before you this morning, Father, with a desire to return to hope and a confidence in who you are, Father, I pray that you would give each of us that hope, each of us that confidence. Father, we pray that you would help develop this in our lives, Father, that our faith would be sufficient, our hope would be sufficient, our love would be sufficient to reach our world. Father, we pray that you would make that happen in our lives, Lord. We just ask that you would give your Holy Spirit to each of us, Lord, to allow that to happen. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I left my home in Norfolk, Virginia, California on my mind. I straddled that greyhound and rode him into Raleigh and on across Carolina. We stopped in Charlotte, but we bypassed Rock Hill. Never was a minute late. And 90 miles out of Atlanta. Back off. where I am, late in the day, late in the game, you got yesterday, today, and tomorrow all in the same room. I never cared much for advice, Wendell, and you helped me without even talking. But I just don't want you to have regret in your life, that's all. I'm on a mission, Mr. Nasher.
You know, I think that um, it's a short clip, but I think that it points out the obvious that um, in our lives that once God has come into them, it should change us. There should be a difference in our lives that is palpable to everyone around us, that people can see, people can touch, that it's obvious that there's a change in our lives. And in fact, if we are in Christ, we should never desire to go back to the way we once were, right? Now, here's the challenge that we're going to talk about this morning, and we're going to talk about someone like Nasher in the video clip here, um, because it is very easy for us in our lives to get sidetracked and to get away from the confidence that we have in God. But this morning we're going to talk about someone who um, sort of had an interesting career, as it were, and uh, who basically something terrible happened in their lives. They had a downturn of a monumental pr uh, proportion. And, uh, you know, after the downturn, they realized that, you know what, it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter because God is who He says He is, and I, as long as I live, I'm going to be faithful to Him, no matter the consequences, no matter the cost. I'm going to be confident, I'm going to be hopeful in what He has to say, and that's who we're going to talk about this morning as we uh, continue our series on hope. In this movie clip, we see hope, the fact of a renewed beginning, the fact that we have a return um, to what we once believed and once we, what we once held true. Well, Return to Hope is our series that we're uh, doing for Easter. Our four-week series is we're going to look at four different people in the Bible, and we're going to see how hope affected their lives. Now, if you've not been here for one of our Easter series, the idea of hope, we talked about this last week, I need to introduce this, because the Bible, when the Bible uses the word hope, it doesn't use the word hope the way we use the word hope in regular English, right? If we go down to the store and we buy a lottery ticket and we say, man, I hope I win the lottery, right? We know that we have a billion to one chance of actually winning the lottery, right? And so the thing is we use hope meaning to wish upon a star, to expect a miracle, that sort of thing, right? But when the Bible uses the word hope, and in fact in modern versions of the Bible you'll see that the word hope doesn't appear very often. And the reason is because the original language word there for hope means confidence. So when the Bible says that we are to put our hope in the Lord, it doesn't mean that we are to say, man, I wish upon a star that the Lord would do something in my life. No. What it means is, is that we are confident that God is going to do something. We know He's going to do something. We're just anxiously awaiting for that something to happen. In our life groups this week, um, one of the life groups I attended, someone asked me, they said, well, what's the difference between faith and hope then? Well, the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things unseen, right? Faith is something that we know to be true, right? Even though we can't prove it or fully understand it, but we know it's to be true, we know it's true, and we live our lives according to it, right? We choose to live our lives according to it. Hope, though, is a very close brother of faith because hope says this. Hope says that I am confident in what God is going to do. I, I am confident that at some point in the future that He is going to do what He promises and I'm not going to waver from that confidence. You see how those two fit together? And then, of course, if we have faith, we have the evidence of those things unseen in our lives, and we have hope in the Lord, our confidence that He is going to fulfill everything that He says He's going to do, then it results in what? Love, right? Because out of that should come our love for other people because God said He is faithful and that He is the source of love, and we are able to love other people. So our four-week series is on people of hope. Our strategy, we talked a little bit about it. Let me just hit some highlights. Last week we talked about David, right? 
And in the psalm, we, we, we read the story of David, um, him recovering or returning to hope in his life. He had a, you know, a downturn, a difficult situation in his life, and a lot of the psalms rec- record him trying to get back to hope, right? We talked about that to begin with, that when we talk about this confidence or this hope in God, that ultimately, ultimately, all good things come from God. That there is no valuable worthwhile good thing in our world apart from God, right? There are things that are nice, there are things that are pretty, there are things that are enjoyable, right? But that there are no good, whole good, righteous goodness in our world apart from God. And because of that, we talked about last week, because of that, it's impossible for us to really be able to, frankly, have a solution to our lives without God, right? If I were to, as we talked about last week, if I were to come to you and you have a problem in your life, and I were to say, hey, listen, I got a bad, some bad advice and a bad solution for you. Do you want it? What are you going to say? Well, if I put it like that, everyone's going to say no, right? They'll say no. Unfortunately, uh, we all know that we get bad solutions and bad advice all the time, right? That's the way the world works, okay? So the Bible says that really God himself, he is the only solution. He is the only good in our world. That's important because for us to return to hope and for us to hold on to the confidence of who God is, it requires us to realize that He is the only solution in our lives. Well, last week we read a a psalm of David, and today we're going to talk about Hezekiah. Now, I know that Hezekiah, for many of you, is some dude that sounds like he has a biblical name, right? And uh, maybe you're not very familiar with him, but he was a pretty good guy. Um, He was a king in Israel. So he followed after David, right? And he also actually wrote at least one psalm, okay? Um, And I say that because Isaiah records one of the poems or the songs or his writing about what God did in his life, okay? We're going to talk about Hezekiah um, today. And uh, so we're going to, it's a pretty interesting story, although it's a little bit poetic, okay? So this is oftentimes the problem with the Bible because in our information-laden society, we're like A, B, C, D, right? We, we get emails with points, and the problem is a lot of the Bible involves poetry because it's supposed to motivate our hearts and our souls, not just our minds as well. And uh, so we're going to talk about him today. Let's go ahead and see what he has to say here in Isaiah 38, 9 through 20. You're welcome to turn in your Bibles um, to that passage, or it's going to be up on the big screen as well. Now, l- let me introduce what's going on here. It's kind of a complex situation, Okay. So you're going to have to bear with me just for a minute. Let me give you some background here because it's kind of a complex information, uh, co- kind of a complex situation. Okay, so here's what happens. Hezekiah was generally considered to be a good king, right? Um, without going into a lot of detail, the Israelites had good kings, they had bad kings, right? You look at other nations in the world, you look at the Roman Empire, the American Empire, whatever, good presidents, good uh, emperors, Bad emperors, bad presidents, that sort of thing. This is a cycle of nations. It's a cycle of our world, right? Okay, so Hezekiah was one of the better ones, right? He basically said, listen, no false worship is going to happen in Judah. I'm going to just get rid of all this stuff. We need reform. And he actually did it. Okay, so instead of talking about reform, he actually did reform, which makes him good by most people's perspective. Okay, so then this is what happens. Okay, so he says basically this. He, he, well, before he says... In making the reforms, a foreign power tried to come in and invade his land. So he spent a lot of his time trying to keep this foreign power out of his land, okay? 
But then what happened in the midst of all this is that God basically said, listen, you're going to die. You have about a year to live, so make your peace. I'm thankful that you were, you know, that you were uh, doing reforms, and that's awesome. You know, you, you were a person after my own heart, so to speak, but you're going to die, okay? So Hezekiah, being uh, probably type A personality, um, freaked out and um, just started having this massive prayer to save his life, okay? Which many of us would do, right? Um, he, got at, he got all of the kingdom to pray, he got himself to pray, and got all this stuff to do. And so what happened was is, then Isaiah came, the Lord sent Isaiah to tell Hezekiah this, that I'm going to give you 15 more years, okay? Because you've been praying and because, I, you know, I'm hearing your prayers, I'm going to give you 15 more years of life, okay? And then, because of that, Hezekiah writes this poem that we're going to read today, okay? So we all clear as mud? All right, let's read the poem. I'm going to excerpt it because the first 10 verses of the poem is all, I am worthless, okay? And it's important for you to read the I am worthless part, but just to keep it truncated this morning, we're not going to read all the I am worthless part, okay? So when King Hezekiah was well again, basically when Isaiah came and Hezekiah was healed, he wrote this poem. He said, he, I said, this is Hezekiah speaking, In the prime of my life must I now enter the place of the dead. Am I to be robbed of the rest of my years? And then he talks about how basically his life here on earth doesn't really have much value or much meaning for about five verses, okay? So basically saying, listen, you know, God, I don't understand because I'm doing your will and now you, you want to take me home and I don't really understand the point of it. I know my, that basically my physical life here is worthless. You know, it'd be great to be able to go and worship you and all that stuff, but like, what's going on here? So then he says, my eyes grew tired of looking to heaven for help. I am in trouble, Lord, help me. And this was what happened when he was sick, right? He said he was, his eyes were so tired because he kept going, come on, God, come on, God, you know, please do something in this situation. Let your glory be revealed. But then he says this, Hezekiah says, but what could I say? For God himself sent this sickness. Now, what he means is, he doesn't mean that God actually said, you're going to be sick, okay? What he means is, is that basically because he lives in this world, and because God is still sovereign in this world, that he allowed the sickness to come into his life, just like he allows things to happen that are good and bad in our lives. We're going to try not to get too philosophical this morning, but I, I'll deal with that a little bit, okay? Now, I will, now, because of this, I will walk humbly throughout my years because of this anguish I have felt. Lord, your discipline is good, for it leads to life and health. You restore my health and allow me to live. Yes, this anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sins. For the dead cannot praise you, they cannot raise their voices in praise. Now when he's talking about the dead, he means people who have already passed from this world and have gone to, um, basically, uh, to the, either to the bad place or just beyond God's reach. Those who go down to the grave can no longer hope in your faithfulness. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. Think of it. The Lord is ready to heal me. I will sing his praises with instruments every day of my life in the temple of the Lord. Okay? Now, I know this is kind of complex, all right? But I'm going to break it down real simple because Hezekiah is a really important story. We're not going to cover all of it, but we're going to talk about how Hezekiah, even in bad times, it caused him to be able to return to hope and confidence in who God was. 
All right, let's talk about this. Three ideas. You can follow along in your handout if you want to do that. First of all, just to sort of segue from last week, is that our hope comes from God, right? That any hope or any confidence that we have in our lives must come from Him. He is, must be the source of it. He must be the one um, that is the source. Uh, I just said source. He must be the root of our confidence and our hope. We talked about this last week because ultimately He is the only source of good. All right, he, here's the problem. Hezekiah lamented his lot in life and cried out for healing. So basically what happens is, is that Hezekiah is a king, right? I mean, he's filthy rich. He can do whatever he wants to do, right? But what happened was, is that it was a real downturn in his life that did what? That caused him to cry out to the Lord again and to really be able to seek him in a way that was new and different, right? Let me just say this again, because here's the problem. It wasn't that Hezekiah wasn't a believer, okay? Hezekiah at this time was a believer. He was, he was, he was doing all he could do. Um, he was considered to be the best king, probably, not counting maybe David or Solomon, but he was considered to be the best king that, that Judah had ever had, right? The people of God had ever had. And so the thing is, is that the problem is it wasn't that he wasn't a believer, right? But what happened was it took a downturn in his life, a severe one, right? Realizing that he was going to die and die very soon, that caused him to be able to, to refocus his life and to establish his confidence in God. He cried out for healing and asked God would work um, in his life. So let, let's talk about this a little bit deeper. Uh, I want to demonstrate several things. I know some of you are going to ask this issue about healing, and then we're going to move on, okay? But the thing is, this passage demonstrates several things about God's desire to interact in our world and to, and to give healing to us, right? Because, first of all, we know that God can heal, okay? It, there's no doubt about that. God can heal. We pray. God can, do the, can, can heal. The thing is, though, is that we learn from Hezekiah is that physical healing can be good and it can be bad, though, right? Because for sometimes we get very distracted by the desire for physical healing, right? Even Hezekiah did this because he, he got so to the point where he was basically so tired and so weary of looking up to heaven, right? It was, the Bible gives a sense that God did it because he loved Hezekiah and he wanted to, Hezekiah to be happy and he wanted him to have a vibrant life here on earth. But we have to realize that by having Hezekiah's life extended... What happened? Does anybody know how the story of Hezekiah's life ends? Well, by having his life extended, he fathered a son who became the worst king in the history of the empire, right? So the problem is, is that having physical healing can be good and can be bad. The, the challenge for us is to be able to look for that, but also to look beyond that so that we make sure that we don't miss God's plan for our lives. Let me say it a little bit better here, um, because I feel like I'm not really hitting this one on the head. Isaiah 38, let me, get, let me get here. I said, in the prime of my life, must I now enter the place of dead, and I be to be robbed of the rest of my years? And he said later, this is part of, that I read over real quickly, never again will I see the Lord while still in the land of the living. Never again will I see my friends or be with those who live in the world. Um, he goes on, delirious, I chattered like a swallow or a crane, and then I moaned like a morning dove. You can see the poetry there. My eyes grew tired of looking to heaven for help. I am in trouble, Lord, help me. But what could I say? For he himself sent this sickness, and now I will walk humbly throughout my years because of the anguish I have felt. Lord, your discipline is good, for it leads to life and health. See, what he's saying there is actually going through the anguish and, and actually experiencing some, some physical disability in his life 
challenged him to actually love God even more, which in the end was better for him in the long run than physical healing. Okay, So I don't want to spend too much time on this, but a lot of times in our world especially, um, people encourage us to focus solely on the physical part of healing. And I just want to encourage you that even Hezekiah, even here, someone who was healed, realized that the physical healing was great and it was awesome, but it wasn't the solution that he was really looking for. It wasn't the final answer, right? So if someone comes to me and says, Pastor, will you pray for my healing? Absolutely, I would do that, right? But my caution every time we've ever done that is to make sure that your heart and your soul are healed as well because that is what almost is the primary over the physical. And in fact, in, in Hezekiah's case, and this won't be everyone's case, but in Hezekiah's case, he reached an age where he knew that, that, that his physical limitations was going to be a problem, and so he prayed about it, but his desire was to serve God even beyond all of that, okay? So I just want to mention that because I know some people ask, our physical existence without God is hopeless. This draws us to our point here, because ultimately, if we just continue to regenerate our physical self, right, and we do not have a real relationship with God in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, right, then it just becomes becomes futile, becomes hopeless, right? I mean, the problem in our world is that in our world, and, and I know people like this, you probably know people like this, who are, they put their hope in what? In science, or they put their hope in medicine, and there's nothing wrong with, with science or medicine, it's good, you know, for the most part, I mean, if it, if it makes us feel better, if it heals us, I mean, that's awesome, right? But the problem is, is that if we extend our lives for forever, right, and our hearts and our souls never become attuned to God, then our physical bodies just become shells of the hope that God would have for us, right? Um, and so it doesn't really matter if we live 30 years or we live 100 years, at least to God's perspective, what matters is whether or not our hearts and souls are attuned to God. Now, it's easy for me to say that, right? Because this is where the rubber meets the road in a bit. Because if, if you've ever experienced this anguish in your life, and some of you have experienced it far more than me, right? then it, it definitely changes your perspective a little bit. And you would be better at speaking about this than me, right? But I know that even when I speak to those people, that their focus and their hope is still on God, right? For those who are believers who have been through trials of uh, physical trials or significant situations in their lives, right? Then their hope is on God. And they will oftentimes say that it has refocused their hope, refocused their confidence, right? So anything that happens in our world that draws us closer to God is actually a good thing. Now, let me say something that's kind of mature here, okay? Uh, because the problem is we live in a broken, sin-fallen world, right? And so the thing is, is that God is under no illusion that our world is full of lollipops and candy canes and that everything is just wonderful and that if He just loves us a little bit that we're going to draw close to Him, right? It doesn't happen, okay? We know that Jesus said that, you know, the, it's easier for a rich man um, to go through the eye of a needle than to go to heaven, right? And it's because that comfort and good things sometimes don't draw us to God, right? It is the mixture, it is the struggle, it is the, the awfulness, frankly, of this world, right, that to a certain degree propels us to God as well. And we want to take hold of that with every opportunity that we have because it will, if the Bible is true and God really is who He says He is, it will make us into the person that God desires us to be. Remember that God is not so concerned about where you start or where you come from. He wants to know where you're going to end up, right? And I don't mean just heaven or hell, that sort of thing. But he wants to know if you're going to end up as a mature follower of him, as a real son who is ready, or daughter who is ready to inherit the throne, or whether you're going to be just someone who is 
you know, spiritually two years old and not really ready to do that very thing. So our physical existence without God is hopeless. Look, we can put on all the beauty products. We can put on all the healing. We can go to all the doctors. We can do the tummy tucks and the liposuction and all that good stuff, right? But our physical existence without God leads in the end to hopelessness, right? We cannot build confidence. We cannot build hope on what happens in our world. The only source of hope in our world comes from God. second idea we're going to talk about here briefly is that our hope must change us. That if we are followers of Christ, that just like in the movie clip that we saw, it's got to change us, right? Like you said, look, I, I, my eyes have been opened and I can't look back, right? If you're a follower of Christ, then your eyes have to be open. You cannot look back to the way it was because it's just going to lead you to somewhere you don't want to go, right? You know if you're here today and you've made a commitment to Christ, you know that God is real and you know that He is calling you to be a part of what He's doing, right? That it's not just enough for us to say, yeah, God is there. It is critical that we take hold of the hope and the confidence that He has for us and not be deterred by little things in our world, even big things in our world that try to derail us, but that we actually use those things, we turn them on their head, and we develop them into a confidence. That's what Hezekiah did, right? Because most people would have done what? A lot of people, when if God had said, listen, you know, you don't have much longer to live, most people would have said what? Well, God, you can stick that in your ear because I don't really care what you have to say, right? That's what most people would say. And then they do what? They go out and party like it's 1999. They go to Vegas, right? They throw away all their money, right? And then they just lay down and die. That's what a lot of people would do, right? But Hezekiah was a, a, a great example of hope because the first thing he did, he said, I'm going to pray until my eyes are so tired I cannot look up to heaven. And then once God healed him, it wasn't enough because he said, you know what? I know that the anguish I went through, I know the pain I went through, I know that my own physical end is all about building confidence in me that I can have great relationship with you, God, and be your servant here in this world, right? That's, that's mature. That's mature. Our hope must change us, and that's what happened with Hezekiah, is that his hope did change him. Um, let me just read this again so we're on the same page. Very difficult passage, I know. Hezekiah wrote, But what could I say? For he himself sent this sickness. Now I will walk humbly throughout my years because of this anguish I have felt. Lord, your discipline is good, for it leads to life and health. You restore my health and allow me to live. Yes, this anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sins. For the dead cannot praise you, they cannot raise their voices in praise. We'll get to that in a second. God's in control regardless of our level of confidence. This is really important because the problem is our confidence and our hope in God does not is not dependent... God is, let me say it the other way, God is not dependent on our hope or our confidence. Our hope and our confidence does not determine, that's the word I want there, does not determine the level of God's involvement in our world. This is absolutely critical because this goes back to sort of the, uh, the whole argument of the idea that God is going to be involved in our world whether we're a part of it or not, you know. Um, the Bible talks about, Jesus says that, you know, even if, even if we don't praise God, the stones will cry out to him, right? You know, and so you have this idea that God's involvement is not dependent upon us. This is really important because the problem is, is that when you watch people on TV and you, you, you see these television evangelists and everything, their whole, the ones that are false, their whole falsehood is based on the fact that you've got to do something to activate God's power. But that's baloney. God don't need you to activate. You ain't no catalyst. All you are is just someone here. Uh, I'm, if you're not a catalyst, God is, the Holy Spirit is the catalyst. 
You are simply the one who is catalyzed. That's the right word. There you go. You are the substance by which the Holy Spirit catalyzes this world, okay? And so the thing is, is that God is in control of our level of confidence, regardless of our level of confidence, okay? So even if we're on a scale of 1 to 10 of hope and confidence in Him, we're one, God is still in control. So the beauty of this is, is that it is easier for us to be able to turn our lives over to God and to allow His hope and His confidence to come in our lives if we realize that He's in control anyway, right? Hezekiah understood that. Hezekiah said, listen, if I live, if I die, it depends upon God and Him alone. Not anything else, right? And by the way, that's freeing too, isn't it? You know, someone asked me uh, on, just as a side note, someone asked me uh, if maybe we could do like a cancer survivor life group, you know, this week. Because those people, they, they like know that, look, it's all about God. It's not about me. It's not even about doctors. It's all about God, right? And so, we, you know, that's someone, somebody pitched that idea to me. I think that'd be really cool. We may do that. And, and the thing is, if you've been down that road, you know that God is the one who is in control no matter how long we live in this world and that our confidence and our hope is based on Him. Listen, here's the thing. Our struggle is that we fail to put our hope in God for the overall trajectory of our lives, right? Because, again, when we have a downturn in our lives, and we talked about this for the last eight or ten weeks now, but when we have a downturn in our lives, then we think that the trajectory of our lives is doing what? Going down, right? But no, 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 because we need to see where God is going to take us in the long run, right? We don't have a vision for that. And, and I say we, I mean the church in America. But I would, ch- I would just argue that a lot of you sitting here today who are believers do not see the trajectory that God has for your lives. You know why I, I know that? Because, I, because many of you, um, well, I'll just be honest. Many of you have never, that I've seen, have never really stepped up and done for the kingdom, right? I mean, you sit here on Sundays, and then you kind of, you know, and, and, I, and, and I oftentimes, I, in my experience, if you're not doing something, then it means you kind of have accepted the fact that, you know, you don't have a role to play, right? You're not there to be catalyzed, that somebody else is going to be catalyzed. But the problem is, is that it doesn't work like that, right? Because the problem is, is that when we have a downturn, we see something, we get discouraged, and we just sort of sit in the back row, or the right row as it is this morning, uh, left row, left row, right? We sit, sort of sit in the left row, right? And we don't do anything, then the problem is we're admitting that our trajectory is going down, right? But God doesn't desire for that to happen. God desires for our trajectory to go up, right? And that even when it goes a little bit down, it doesn't matter because he's still what? In control, very good, right? And that his sovereignty, his in-controlness should give us the confidence that even when times are bad, to know that he does what? That all things work to the good of those who love him, right? Now the key there is who love him, right? Because people on TV, they'll quote that, all things work to the good of those, and they just kind of, no, no. It's those who are seeking and love him. But if you are here this morning, you seek and you love him, you're a Christ follower, right? Then his trajectory for your life is to do good. This is what Hezekiah is talking about here, right? And the difference is between him and you, the difference between him and me is that he had the confidence to know that God wanted to do something in his life. He had the confidence to know that. And the challenge for you is to take hold of that confidence in your life. Now, let me just move on here because I, I, I don't want to go long because I've got some other things. But here's the thing. This is the trajectory of the sun. I think it's in Antarctica, right? And, and the problem is, is that we as people tend to follow, we can see only this far, right? None of us can see this far in our lives. But we see about this far. But we can have hope and we have confidence that God sees 
this far and knows what he is going to do. So even when we had a bad time in our life and the trajectory starts looking down, it doesn't matter because what matters is that God is still in control. And that even when bad things happen to us, they are a part of his plan for our lives to bring him closer to himself, right? Listen, no one in this room has had a perfect rosy life. I haven't, right? You haven't. I can count all the things that bad have happened to me. It's been significant. So have you, right? No one escapes these problems in life. But how we put our faith and hope, how we deal with those, how we speak to God about those things demonstrates whether or not we have confidence and hope in Him or whether we're hoping in something else. So here's the thing. Troubles can increase our hope and confidence in God. This is, this is the point, right? That the problem is, is that as a pastor, as, even more significantly as a theologian, it's always hard to write things about this issue because the honest truth is I know that sometimes bad things change us to be the person that God wants us to be. I don't know how else to say that nice. I don't know how to sugarcoat that. That's just the way it is, okay? So I don't want to have a church, no, no offense, please don't take it. I don't want to have a church of baby Christians, okay? Not saying that you are. I'm just saying in general, I don't want to pastor a church of baby Christians, okay? So you got to realize that. you got to know the fact that sometimes bad things happen, and they happen to draw us on our confidence and our faith and our love in God even more, okay? They stink. I'm not denying it. It stinks, okay? It, it, it's really horrible to go through those things. I don't want to go through it. I don't want you to go through it. You don't want to go through it. But the world is relentless in desiring to tear us up, okay? To kill us, to destroy us, to maim us in every possible way. And yet God is the one who is able to bring goodness out of even the destruction that the world brings, okay? Listen, this is the, this is the fork in the road that we meet every time we have a bad situation in our lives. We either, it either will cause us to go to Vegas and blow all our money or it will cause us to renew and return to hope and restore our confidence in God. The Bible, Hezekiah, found the right way, right? He restored, he returned to that hope in God. And my challenge and my request for you is to do the very same thing. Real quickly here, our hope propels us to act, right? But the thing is, is that if we are going to, if, 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 if we, when we have bad things happen in our lives, even good things happen in our lives, and our confidence in God starts to change and starts to grow, then it's going to cause us to act, right? I mean, Hezekiah says here, Yes, his anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from death and forgiven all my sins. For the dead cannot praise you, they cannot raise their voices in praise. Those who go down to the grave can no longer hope in your faithfulness. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. See, here's the thing. What he's saying is, listen... We only have one life to ground our hope, right? Because in Hezekiah's mind, it's important to understand where he's coming from. Hezekiah lived long before Jesus, right? So his idea and understanding of heaven and hell was not as articulated as ours was, right? The way he looked at it was basically when people died, that basically there was a, there's a place underground and that everybody went there and then God sorted them out from that point on, right? And at that point on, what he's saying, that's why he says once you, once you go to that place, at that point, there's no more hope that somehow, you know, if you don't believe in God, that somehow that you're going to be able to get a second chance in life, okay? That's what he was basically saying. Remember, he's a king. He's not a prophet. He's not a theologian. He's not anything like that. He's just a king. He's just like a normal person. So his poems are reflecting his normal person view of the way the world is, right? And he's saying, listen, that when, when, when you pass from this life, that your hope is 
at that point, solidified. <laughs> either you're going to stand before God. Long, term, long story short, either you're going to stand before God and you're going to be like, hey, I'm now 100% confidence. My hope, my confidence, it went, boop, you know. I need like a computer noise where it like signals it's powered up, right? Okay, like in the Wally movie, the microphone, no, the Macintosh noise, right? Uh, that, that powered up, fully powered up, okay? Hope, confidence, fully powered up, right? But the problem is, is that if you end up going to the other place, there's no more hope, there's no more confidence, because there's no possibility of anything being restored. This is the reason why that we only have one life to be for which we may have confidence in. We only have one life which we may have hope in. Why is this important? Why does this matter? It matters very simply this. Because if we live our lives as believers, now I'm talking about believers here, because Hezekiah is a believer, Isaiah is a believer, they're having this conversation among believers. As a believer, if you go your entire life with faith, but you have no hope that God will ever do anything in your life or the people's lives around you, you have wasted your life. You know why? Because you will die and you will stand before God, and what will happen is, is that you will have demonstrated nothing of His goodness or grace in our world. The reason why I get up here on Sundays is because of my hope and my confidence in God. Not because of the money, it's not good, trust me, right? Not because I want to live in San Jose, San Jose's fine, but this is not my home, right? I mean, I'm from the East Coast. Not for any of those things, but because I have confidence that God's trajectory for my life is specific and clear, right? And I can't see eight suns ahead as an example, but I can see one or two, right? I can see two or three maybe even. And so it is critical for you that you ground your life and you get confident and you get hope in what God can do. You return to that hope because if not, you will end up wasting a majority of your life to draw people to God. You will waste, end up wasting your life because you will fitter it away worrying about other things rather than worrying about what God's plan is for you. Most hopes will be dashed at the end of this life, right? So if we put our hope, our confidence in our money, um, or in just not hoping in anything, or in whatever, the, in anything it may be other than God, it's just going to be dashed in the end of this life. We can start by extending that hope to others. You know, we have Easter coming up, and so I wanted to just segue into this for just a second, because one of the things that we are capable and able to do is to be able to extend hope to other people, right? Because if we're hopeful and we're confident and we know that God really is who He says He was, yeah, when we invite people to Easter, there's going to be people who say, no, I'm not interested. There's going to be people who say, eh, maybe. There'll be people who say, yeah, maybe I'll come. There's going to be a whole wide range of answers and a whole wide range of, of opinions about this. But if we know that God is who He says He is and we know that He is true and real, then it should propel us to act. It should propel us to, to do everything from, from feed the poor, to invite people to church, to pray for them, to tell them what God has done in their lives. Whatever it may be, it should propel us to act because we want to know and we want to see God's reality in our world, right? You know, the funny thing is faith, the Bible defines faith using what word? Hope, <laughs> right? Because faith, when faith becomes a, well, actually, you could put it this way, put it this way. When hope becomes real, it's faith, right? When faith and when those things become real, in fact, it's no longer hope at that, a faith at that point. It becomes the reality of the situation. We have a chance to make God real to people. You have Easter coming up. Make sure you do that. Well, our hope today is that um, we can be hopeful and extend that hope to others, that it should propel us 
even when we have a bad time, even in a time of anguish as Hezekiah had, that it still should propel us to act, to be involved in building up his kingdom. Let's just have a moment of prayer. Father, we just come before you today, Father, and we just ask this morning that we um, would ground our confidence and our hope in you, Father, that we would be fully committed to your building up of your kingdom here on earth. Father, that we would, no matter if we go through good times or bad times, that our hope and our confidence will be in who you are, Lord, and that you will establish and ground that hope in our lives, Father, so that we can fulfill your plan, so that we can be the people that you desire for us to be. Father, we thank you for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.